You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter. David, we're here in person to record today's podcast in honor of the breaking news that we've all been waiting for. Baseball is back, 162-game season. How excited are you for this? Very excited. Uh, I think it's interesting that I think it was four deadlines that were passed without a deal before um, they said that they they wouldn't have a 162-game season. And then after four deadlines were passed, we still have 162 somehow. But I'm okay with it. I'm not going to complain, even if there are a few scheduling quirks thrown in there that, that may be a little bit difficult to complete. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. I'll jump the gun here. You you had said that uh, the, the Brewers have a series against the Giants that they're going to have to just reschedule at some point during the season. Not really sure how that's going to play out when you've got, obviously, the Brewers in Wisconsin and Giants all the way across um, on the West Coast. But it will have some quirks to it, like you said, throughout the season. But I don't think anybody really cares at this point. Yeah, the, the, the big thing is that we will have a season. It will be a full season. And that's ultimately what matters, and that's what we're all excited about. Yeah, a lot of changes, some of which obviously we already knew about. DH, of course, coming to the National League. We'll definitely share all of that, dive deep into that. But before we do so, let's jump into today's trivia question. Former Brewer Mike Cameron, how many gold gloves did Mike Cameron win during his 17-season career? So again, uh, how many gold gloves did Mike Cameron have across his 17-season career? That was spanned across White Sox. I spent a year with the Reds, Seattle, Mets, Padres, Brewers, Red Sox, uh, Red Sox, and then Marlins at the very end. Uh, but a long, long, successful career. I know he's not a random player of the day. I kind of just uh, shared some basic information there on, on Mike Cameron. Was certainly known for his good defense. I certainly enjoyed watching him. Uh, also announced him um, for my uh, junior announcer moment. So he's one of three players in Major League Baseball history that has been announced by me. Um, the other two being Jason Kendall and CeCe Sabathia, of course. So anyways, on, on a, a completely unrelated note, uh, David, who's our random player of the day today? Instead of a random player, I decided to do a random game of the day. The last time the Brewers and Cubs squared off on opening day like they will in the upcoming 2022 season on April 7th. And that game took place on March 31st of 2008 at Wrigley Field. Not sure who decided that Wrigley would be the better venue for opening day in March, but uh, apparently Bud Selig, I guess, or whoever makes the schedule. In that game, not surprisingly, Eric Gagne blew a save. He had a three-run lead, 3-0, going into the ninth inning, and he allowed a game-time three-run shot to Kosuke Fukudome. Ben Sheets went six and a third shutout innings. David Riske got the save after Gagne had blown the save initially. That was before Solomon Torres took hold of the closer's role later on in the season in 2008. And, and Tony Gwynn Jr. with the game-winning RBI to drive in Brewers current manager Craig Council. Other interesting note in the game, Prince Fielder hit third and Braun hit fourth. The reverse order of, of what they ended up having for much of the time that they played together when Braun was always third and, and Fielder four. So just kind of an interesting quirk in that 2008, an interesting note in the lineup that Ned Yost constructed. Yeah, I wonder why that he decided to do that. Seems like pretty natural to me to have Braun bat third and Fielder fourth, but maybe that's just because I grew up with that for several years. But um, I think Braun is kind of your more stereotypical th three hitter and fielder. 
your more stereotypical big power hitter in the four spot. Uh, but interesting note there in that 2008 opening day game against the Cubs. So I already mentioned some of the scheduling quirks that we'll see this year. Like I said, the Giants series going to be rescheduled at some point during the season and the Brewers series against Arizona being moved to October 3rd through the 5th. Brewers are going to be opening up the season April 7th at Wrigley. So you mentioned uh, them deciding to have the Cubs host opening day back in 08. They're doing it again this year. So Brewers will be at Wrigley April 7th and then travel to Baltimore before finally getting their home opener on 4-14 at 4-14 p.m. against the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, the 4-1-4 day in honor of Milwaukee. The Brewers are kind of marketing it as they, they will actually take place in or take a part in the Baltimore Orioles home opener uh, as well on that Monday following the first series. And then that opening series moved to the back end of the year in Arizona, uh, excuse me, at home against Arizona, actually. So the Brewers will finish then October 3rd through the 5th. And then I'm not sure how they're going to, yeah, how they're going to um, fit everything in in San Francisco in that. Uh, but interesting uh, how they're going to work the scheduling. And it is only a few weeks away that we'll see Brewers baseball, Brewers regular season baseball. Uh, and, and the spring training schedule already beginning at the end of this upcoming week, March 18th against the Dodgers. Yeah, I think for the Brewers Giants series, they should probably just have Josh Hader and like, I was going to say Buster Posey, but he's retired. Madison Bumgarner play MLB The Show like back in 2020 just against each other for the three-game set. That seems pretty pretty fair. Well, I would like to note also Bumgarner's not on the Giants anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That that would be fair. That's right. I totally forgot about that. That's It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't. I think no. of all the people that, that have, have changed teams over the past couple of years, Bumgarner being on the Diamondbacks yeah. is something that is uh, probably the, the least right out of all of them. Yeah, my of course, my brain automatically Giants went to Posey, of course, now retired, then went to Bumgarner, so I totally blanked on that. That's, I mean, it's the same as you, you mentioned, of course, Kershaw re-signing a one-year deal with the Dodgers. Uh, but similar to that, um, I, I think Kershaw would be in that same place. To imagine Kershaw on any other team but the Dodgers would not be fitting at all. Maybe that being a series that decides some playoff races, some playoff implications, especially depending on when they do decide to have that. Uh, so it's, it's not like you can just necessarily throw that series in somewhere and, and act like it has no consequence. It will be one that, um, that will have consequences. Uh, they did announce, too, that there will be 12 teams in the playoff field this year, up from the, the previous standard of 10. So there will be three wild cards along with the three division winners, the top two seeds being two division winners, um, getting buys in the first round, and then there will be a best of three series for the wild card round. So that will take place the division winner against uh, the third wild card, and then the the fourth and the fifth seeds, the two other wild cards squaring off. And the better seed will actually host all three games of the series. So it gives you a pretty distinct advantage in the first round. I think that's been long overdue. I don't think that home field advantage is. I mean, really, come when you come. When it comes down to it, it really only matters when you get into a five-game series or a seven-game series. I, I think that home field advantage should have more weight to it. So I'm glad that they, they made that change. I think that is long overdue. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about the, the MLB adding two additional teams to the playoffs? Do you feel like that waters down the regular season? I don't think having a playoff field of 12 waters down the regular season. I think that if it, if it became 14, then that I certainly would not be at all in favor of. But I, I'm okay with it overall. One other thing that, that kind of got buried in 
the documentation for the CBA. No more game 163 tie breaks. So instead, they will use tie breaks that are decided more like how the NFL does with head-to-head -head record or perhaps with divisional records uh, past that. And that will determine then who makes the playoffs, who ultimately will, uh, will represent the division or, or perhaps wild card spot. So that final 163, game 163 in Brewers franchise history, of course, being a memorable one. Brewers, Cubs, of course, Keon Broxton, and I can still picture catching that final out if mm -hmm. I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there won't be any more uh, game 163, so that will live on as the final game 163. Yeah, another note that may have been a little bit buried across many of the more drastic changes, every team is going to play every other team in all of baseball um, at least one series in 2023. So that means we will be, of course, facing off against the Yankees, the Angels, the A's, Astros, those teams that we don't really get to see much of. Uh, a lot of those teams only coming to Milwaukee, what, every six to five to six years. Um, so a, a bit of a change there. I'm not necessarily against it. I think it's good. I, I'm excited to be able to see my, Mike Trout play against the Brewers every year. Um, I would say I'm excited to see the Brewers play the Astros, but maybe not. Uh, but I, I'm just excited to see, I guess, a, a more diverse set of opponents. Anything that you'd add to that? I, w I would agree with that. It's definitely a move a little bit more towards the modernization of sports. We've seen that a little bit more so, especially with the NBA, a little bit NFL as well. And they will play each divisional opponent just 14 times instead of 19, which I, I would have to say I am a little bit more in favor of that because uh, seeing them play the Reds or the Pirates, you know, combined 40 times a, game, a, a year and probably about 15 rainouts between the two opponents. Uh, definitely not something that I that I enjoy. It's kind of funny that you think about why they played so many games in their division back in the day. I mean, it was really just came down to that's that was a two-hour bus ride versus a 14-hour bus ride or plane ride, whatever it might be. But it really has just continued to live on for decades and decades. And I, I do think it's good. It's not like they cut it down to, you know, Brewers playing the Cubs once at Wrigley and once at home. I, we're still going to get them seven, seven or eight times uh, here in, in Milwaukee and in Chicago. So I, I'm happy with that change. Um, again, it's a little bit um, a little bit of a smaller detail among, amongst, amongst all of the new things going on. Uh, so what else around some of the salaries and transactions that's new with the new CBA? Yeah, one of the big issues was regarding the competitive balance tax that kind of held them up for negotiations. And they did agree to it. They increased the threshold to pay luxury taxes. So it it overall is a benefit more to the, the bigger market teams. But I don't think it has too much of an impact on many of the smaller market teams because we've, we've kind of seen that you don't have to spend a lot of money in order to compete. Uh, they also increased the minimum salary from about $570,000 a year to $700,000, and that will increase a little bit more throughout the duration of uh, the co collective bargaining agreement they have. Also, in order to incentivize teams bringing up their top prospects at the beginning of the year or whenever they're ready, uh, a player who finishes in the top two of the Rookie of the Year voting will receive a full year of service time, so essentially that really doesn't give any incentive for the very best players to be held down at AAA longer than they should be once the season has already started. They added a pool of $50 million from the league uh, and the players union that will that will be given to young players that are very high performers. So for example, Corbin Burns would have received quite a large bonus for winning the Cy Young Award. 
This past year, Vlad Guerrero Jr. would have received a big second place MVP bonus. I think Burns would have ended up making about two and a half million last year instead of the 600,000 that he that he did make. So players like him are going to be the ones most affected and just overall the, the highest performing guys that are in that pre-arbitration window. So young and early on in their, uh, in their baseball careers. They also added no more than five options per year for a player. Pretty minor move, but uh, preventing relievers from basically shuttling between AAA and the big leagues uh, throughout the year, every week, every series. Yeah, right, every other. Uh, that's basically the Jacob Barnes rule. It yeah. Was, what was that, like 2019? Taylor or, Williams, yeah. they were like in the rotation. Devin yeah. Williams was part that's of it true. at the time. Yeah, a lot of a lot of back and forth for those guys. Players also can't be claimed off waivers by a team that has already claimed them unless every other team has passed first. Of course, Jacob Nottingham uh, making several stops to the Brewers last year, if I remember correctly, correct? Yeah, he went Brewers, claimed off waivers by the Mariners. Brewers claimed him again, then Mariners claimed him again, and then he was ultimately then let go by the Mariners. He's he's a member of the Orioles now, signed a minor league deal. But to prevent that from happening, they, uh, they, they created this new rule, and so I guess his name will kind of live on along with the Buster Posey rule, the Chase Utley rule. You know, the greats. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically the reason that occurred in years past was because um, not it didn't have to go through all the teams, essentially, correct? Well, it depends what league you're in, but there's a there's a priority order for the waivers, and the Mariners were, were pretty good on the priority list because of their record at the time. Uh, even if they were in the American League, uh, they were still at least like around middle of the pack. And enough teams passed on him that, that they were able to claim him. Got it, got it. So what about some of the changes to the draft? So they will have a 20-round draft going forward. They had 40 in years 2019 and before, uh, but it will be 20 rounds now. They increased the signing bonus pools a little bit. And then there will be a lottery for the first six picks in the draft. So each of the 18 teams that do not make the playoffs will be eligible to get one of the top six picks in the draft. But in addition to that, there's some additional uh, rules that will try to prevent teams from tanking to get good draft picks. So uh, for a small market team, so considered in the bottom half of markets where the Brewers would fall, you cannot receive a pick in the top 10 more than two years in a row. If you're a big market team, you can't receive a pick in the top 10 more than one year in a row. So if you, if you pick in the top 10, you can't uh, pick in the top 10 until... Um, Two years following that so a little bit of an interesting wrinkle they threw in to try to uh, prevent that another rule that they made that is i guess kind of half off field half on field teams will be able to sell ad patches on their jerseys and helmets which i'm overall not a fan of i, I don't know of many people that are a fan of advertising patches we've seen it in the nba it actually doesn't look actually quite i would say quite as bad as i thought it was going to i'm really not a fan of the helmets the jerseys to me you can make it kind of blend in a little bit better so we'll see what that looks like hoping for the brewers to get either a maybe quick trip or a culver's we saw the bucks have harley davidson maybe something uh something more milwaukee that that fits in a little bit better yeah they gotta get or at least a company that's got that matches their colors so like you said i agree that the jerseys it can blend in pretty well i think the nba jerseys i wasn't a fan of that either and after seeing them i was like eh, i'm still not a fan but I don't mind them, but the helmets to me that that'll definitely look strange. I'm not looking forward to to seeing that. And as far as who wanted that, that that would be the owners mm -hmm. and only the owners. 
Yeah, and it was part of the concessions that the uh, the players made in order to get a little bit better of a deal uh, as far as the, the benefits that the players could have. Yeah, and then we mentioned, of course, the Universal DH. We've known this roughly for the last month or so um, with reports coming out about that. So DH coming to the National League um, after decades of debate, um, it's finally come. And we will uh, just here momentarily discuss briefly some of the Brewers' options about that. I know Nelson Cruz, uh, we're recording this here on Saturday. It's possible even when this comes out on uh, Monday the 14th that Cruz may have already made his decision. But I know he will be likely uh, making his decision where he'll be signing. I think he's probably the most sought after DH, unless you want to include Castellanos um, in that um, list. So certainly hoping the Brewers are um, in the market for Cruz, Castellanos, or another big bat like that to bolster the middle of their order. And then finally here, another change, uh, minor changes, I guess you could call them on the field. Uh, Pitch clock um, addition. Uh, restriction on defensive shifts and larger bases for 2023. That's pretty exciting stuff right there. Yeah, the larger bases, I think, is really what they're looking at, uh, getting some of the new fans, the younger fans involved in the game. Uh, we, we saw the intentional walk rule come in. <laughs> the fans came from far and wide. And, and now seeing the larger bases, I think, re- really is what, what will separate MLB from the other sports. So are we talking like larger bases in like seven-year-old at a league where you've got like the, the double base, base. The, safety, <laughs> the safety base. <laughs> I don't think we're going to quite that measure. I think they're they're increasing the diameter of it by 50% or maybe 33%. So essentially it, it cuts down the baseline by about nine inches to a foot because you're a, you're a little bit closer to the edge of each base in between. So it's their way of not altering the, the actual dimensions of 90 feet between the bases while also cutting it down a little bit to try to increase stolen bases is really their 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 main objective in doing it. It seems it seems very subtle. I'm not sure if it will work. They've experimented with it a little bit in the minor leagues, but those three changes that were mentioned, the pitch clock, the larger bases, and the ban on defensive shifts, or at least a restriction on them, we don't know 100% what that will look like. Those will all be coming into effect in 2023, not quite yet this year. Yeah, good, good, uh, good job pointing that out. And then we mentioned the Brewers' need for a DH course now that they're among uh, the 15 National League teams who are in search um, of that bat in the order. And we mentioned, of course, Nelson Cruz, who's reportedly um, considering making his decision by Sunday night, the 13th. So again, that may already be out by the time this is released. Um, but the Brewers are reportedly among eight teams interested in Cruz, and they certainly do need a DH besides just moving guys around or... Uh, hoping on Kesson here to recover for the last what couple of years that we've been hoping for. Um, any Anything that you'd add? I know we've briefly touched on the DH a couple of different podcast episodes, but now that it's really here, anything else that you want to bring up? The expanded playoffs could end up impacting the Brewers' strategy, whether it be at the deadline uh, for this upcoming year. It could even be with the way they approach free agency and trades even right now. Do they seek additional roster upgrades because they think, well, there's going to be a tougher field in the playoffs? Do they kind of hold back a little bit because there's a better shot of making the postseason? Maybe they'll they'll try to get players that they think will play a little bit better in the postseason. I'm not 100% sure what direction they'll go in that area, but it certainly could throw a wrench in their plans a little bit uh, as far as roster construction and player acquisitions in the next few months. Yeah, the playoff, the the change to the playoffs does, um, I, I think, bode for some interesting changes or updates to strategy. I mean, you look at the Brewers roster. I don't think there's much of a question that they're already a playoff team with 
I mean, with the expanded playoffs, that is only more likely. So I'm not really sure that they're adding guys to make the playoffs, but really more so to make them World Series contenders. Because I feel like they, you know, they're one of the best teams. But I'm, you know, I guess I'd consider them on the outside looking in as far as World Series contenders go. Um, with, of course, the exceptional pitching staff that they have, but I still feel like they need some added depth um, in the bat. And it seems like Stearns is is kind of a value guy who's maybe not always look willing to pay top dollar for the the most sought after free agents, which in this case would probably be probably be Nelson Cruz. But um, I, I could see the the Brewers make even making minimal additions in the DH spot or in other spots prior to the season, and then waiting until later in the year maybe closer to the trade deadline when you've got a, a National League team with a DH who doesn't necessarily need to hold out of that guy, and, and that's where the Brewers pick up um, a DH bat. I don't know, a Kyle Schwarber-esque player who can help them in the playoffs um, and come at a much cheaper price as well for the Brewers. So, again, we'll see what the Brewers decide to do. Um, our hopes, I guess, are up for Nelson Cruz or any of the other um, bats out there in the market, but we'll, I guess, have to wait and see. Uh, what ends up occurring in that situation. Um, you mentioned also the change to um, the limit on how many times a player can be optioned up or down. I think that will impact the Brewers a little bit more than other teams. Craig Council, of course, has been known to use his bullpen, um, I guess, more frequently or make moves more frequently than perhaps some other managers do. And as a result, that um, incurs more up and down movement from AAA and the big leagues. So Brewers will have to manage that. I don't have any questions about whether the Brewers front office and Craig Council can manage that. They've shown uh, that they're you know exceptional at what they do. So I don't think that'll make a big difference on the Brewers, but perhaps is a little bit um, hurting them a little bit more than some of the other teams out there as well. So David, I mentioned that the Brewers, you know, obviously I think are already locks to be in the playoffs this year, but what are your thoughts on the Brewers shot at making the playoffs? Um, what what they could do at the deadline, those types of things. I think that what they need between now and uh, the end of the trade deadline this this summer would be adding probably one or two bats on either the corners, whether it be maybe a first baseman to supplement Rowdy Tellez, maybe a corner outfielder to mix in a little bit with Renfro and Yelich, or maybe just a straight up DH. But I think they need one or two guys like that, unless Keston here reemerges like he did a few years ago when he burst onto the scene. I still think they're set up pretty well to make the playoffs, but I don't know that I'd consider them a, a legit title contender, kind of as you had alluded to without some of the additions that they make with the offense. Yeah, I mean, they're they're probably just a few steps away, um, and I, I would say some of the easier steps than you say, oh, they're just missing an ace, or they're just missing a one and two. They've got both of those, um, and then some in the starting rotation. So they've got some of the tougher... Um, roster spots to fill. I, I think now it's it's going to be David Stearns looking for value. Um, I think he is going to be willing to spend because at the end of the day, he knows this is about as best of a time the Brewers can contend for a championship. And we all know the news as well around him. Potentially, we don't know how long he's going to be with the Brewers. Of course, Brewers fans, I think just about everybody, uh, fans of the Brewers, players, everyone in the organization, I think, um, seems to have enjoyed him and respected him as the Brewers leader in the front office. Um, but I believe it is it is it if the Brewers win the World Series or make the World Series this year that he could he could depart if he wanted to? Yeah, if they make the World Series, there's a, a an opt-out in his contract where he could leave Milwaukee. I guess we'll, we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it. Not something to speculate excessively about, but it is still something that's interesting to note that we we haven't really seen a contract that we're aware of like that. 
And otherwise, uh, to my knowledge, it's not public information how long he is signed through, correct? Uh, it, it's one more year, actually, after after this year. It's generally not public knowledge what the contract is, but they somebody was able to intercept that information. Yeah, okay. And, and certainly, of course, Matt Arnold, who's now the Brewers GM, uh, would be the, the probable person to take over, but Brewers fans and myself alike, hoping that Stearns will be able to stay. So, again, lots of news, of course, with Major League Baseball Players Association um, and the owners finally coming to agreement on the collective bargaining agreement. We will see baseball back April 7th at Chicago for the Brewers and then the home opener on April 14th. Before we exit here today, our trivia question, how many gold gloves did Mike Cameron win during his 17-season career? David, we've got uh, option A, one, option B, three, option C, five, or option D, six. I'm going to go with three. That is correct. Mike Cameron, again, known for his good defense, uh, played briefly with the Brewers, three-time gold glover, all-star, center fielder, uh, one of the more smooth outfielders to play the game as well. Um, just had a natural, I guess, smoothness, athleticismness out there in uh, center field for the Brewers. So there's our trivia question of the day. Three gold gloves that Mike Cameron had um, during his Brewers career. So with that, this is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.